All right. Hello, podcast listeners. So ordinarily, I upload uh, the recording of the previous Sunday's message uh, on Monday uh, to the podcast feed. But this week, I decided not to do that because the recording was pretty bad. Uh, We had our first in-person service since the coronavirus pandemic hit. And um, in order to Uh, mitigate risk. We had the service outside. That's our plan for the rest of the summer. And uh, we still have some work to do on how to record the audio well when we're outside. Uh, We're also near the road, and so there was a lot of traffic noise. Uh, So I've just decided to re-record the message for any podcast listeners um, because the recording was pretty awful. For anyone who may have tried to listen on the live stream this week uh, and struggled, I just want to assure you that we are doing what we can to improve things for this coming Sunday and for future Sundays. It might take us a little while to work out the kinks, but we were not content with the way things were last Sunday, and uh, we have every intention of making it better. Uh, We got a new professional camera this week that should help us. And uh, we, we're going to experiment with um, how we do a lot of things uh, in order to, to improve it. So uh, things should get better. But anyway, uh, we continued our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we've been for the last few months. And uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, turn to Matthew 7, verse 1. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this passage contains what's probably one of the most popular Bible verses in our contemporary culture. It's one that you hear people referring to both uh, who are inside the church and outside of the church. And usually uh, the verse is not quoted in its entirety. It's just the first three words, do not judge, do not judge. Those three words are often used as a means of escape from anything we don't want to hear. You got a problem with me? Do not judge. You got a problem with the politician I support? Well, you shouldn't be so judgmental. Jesus said, don't judge. So if you got a problem with me, you must be the problem. Now, what I want us to realize is that's a very unfortunate application of what Jesus says here because that application actually cuts us off from self-reflection. And self-reflection is exactly what Jesus is trying to encourage here. He's trying to encourage us to think about our own judgmentalism, not about everybody else's. Uh, He's trying to encourage us to think about the plank in our own eye, not the speck in our brother's eye. So when we use this verse as a way of deflecting any criticism or as a way of avoiding hard truths about ourselves, then we're missing the whole point. That's not the way it's meant to be used. So how is it meant to be used? Well, let's think about this. 
Jesus says, for in the same way you judged others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this raises the question, when Jesus says, you will be judged, is he talking about God judging us at the end of our lives? Or is he talking about other people judging us? And I believe the answer is both. So first, let's talk about God judging us. There are definitely other places in scripture that warn us that if we are unmerciful to other people, God will withhold mercy from us. And I know that sounds kind of scary, but those warnings are there and we shouldn't ignore them. For example, Jesus told a parable about a servant who owed a king an unpayable debt. I actually did the math a few years ago on uh, how much the servant owned, I, or sorry, how much the servant owed. And I believe it was 10,000 talents. Uh, and that translates roughly to 2,739 lifetimes worth of earnings. 2,739 lifetimes worth of earnings. And in the parable, the king forgives the servant all of that debt. The king chooses to absorb the cost of that debt upon himself, and he releases the servant from it. But then the next thing the servant does is he goes out and he finds someone who owes him a little bit of debt. And when he can't pay, the man has him thrown into prison. So the man who has just been forgiven 2,739 lifetimes worth of earnings refuses to forgive someone who owes him, you know, a pittance in comparison. And when the king in the parable finds out about that, he is extremely upset and he has the servant thrown into jail. He says, how could you do this when I showed you such mercy? And Jesus ends the parable by saying, so my heavenly father will also do to you if you don't forgive your brother. So in other words, if you are unmerciful, God will withhold mercy. There's something about being unmerciful, being an unforgivable person that cuts us off from the experience of the mercy of God. The book of James has the same warning. James chapter 2, verse 13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Here's a thought experiment, and I can't take credit for this. I'm indebted to the pastor and author, Tim Keller, for this, uh, this thought experiment. Imagine that all your life you have a recorder on your neck and it documents every single judgment that you make. So every time you demand that someone meet a behavioral standard, that demand gets recorded. You know, every time you say, people should be kind, people shouldn't drive slow in the passing lane, people should be honest, people should do their research before running their mouths, um, people shouldn't be hypocrites, people should respond to their emails quickly, people should return their phone calls, people should not use offensive language, etc., etc. okay? So imagine this recorder records everything you say like that. And then imagine if on judgment day, God said, you know what? I'm not gonna judge you according to, to my standard. My standard is, you know, holy and perfect. Let's forget about that. I'm just gonna judge you on your own standards. 
In other words, the standards that you demanded or expected from everybody around you. And imagine that he then played back the tape of all those demands and expectations that you expressed throughout your life. Would you pass the test? I honestly don't think that any of us would pass our own test, never mind the test of a perfect and holy God. Our own standards are usually unattainable enough. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about the standards that we hold ourselves to, okay, uh, but the standards that we expect of other people. So in this passage, Jesus is basically saying, I want you to think about that thought experiment. Think about God judging you the way that you judge other people. Because if you knew that that was how things were going to work, you might be a little more merciful. You might be a little more forgiving. You might be slower to condemn and reject. Then there's the second way of understanding judgment here, which is uh, the judgment of other people. Do not judge or you too will be judged by others. And I bring that up because it is generally true that if we are very judgmental people, others are going to be more judgmental of us, right? That's just kind of the way things work. If I was a dietitian and I told every one of my clients, you can't ever eat a cheeseburger or fries or ice cream, you know, and what if I, uh, I berated you every time you confessed to eating those things? And then one day you ran into me at a restaurant and I had right in front of me a big cheeseburger with a side of fries and a nice tall milkshake. You would probably be upset. Now, you would not be upset if I had never held you to that standard, right? But because I had held you to that standard and because I had berated you anytime you didn't meet it, you would be upset. Do not judge or you too will be judged. This is the way that relationships work. The more critical and judgmental and unforgiving we are, the more we bring criticism and judgment and unforgiveness upon ourselves from other people. And Jesus is telling us, remember that. Keep that in mind. Do you want people to forgive you when you mess up? Then be a forgiving person. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. The positive way of phrasing this command is be graceful, and you will experience grace. Over the last few years, I have heard a lot of people describe the culture we're living in as a cancel culture. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, and, and what people mean when they call this a cancel culture, is that we are living in a culture where if someone in a position of influence does something or says something uh, that's regarded as wrong, then that person is often canceled, which means they lose their influence. They lose their credibility. They might lose their job. And honestly, in a cancel culture, uh, it doesn't just have to be a person in a position of influence like a celebrity or a politician. Uh, it could just be an ordinary person, you know, who posts something on social media and then um, people react to it. Now, I want to be clear about something. There are undoubtedly times when it is appropriate for someone to be canceled. And, and by that, I mean that they lose their position of influence and privilege and, and their credibility. You know, Bill Cosby, uh, I hate to say, <laughs> that is an example of someone who had a great deal of influence, a great deal of credibility, but 
his uh, sexual crimes became known, and our culture, I think, rightfully canceled him, you know, in the sense that we said this man should no longer have the privilege of being an entertainer and a person of influence in our culture. His, his crimes are just too heinous for us as a society to accept him in that role, because when we accept him in that role, we are implying that all of the, those crimes are okay. And, and the cost to doing that is too great, right? Another example would be someone like Harvey Weinstein, okay? So I am not saying that um, we should never cancel anybody, okay? Um, and, and, and let me also add, when I say it's appropriate sometimes to cancel someone, I'm not saying it's appropriate to condemn them or to consider them beyond the reach of God's love, okay? But when I say cancel, I mean, it is appropriate sometimes for the pers that person to lose uh, the privilege of being an entertainer, to, to lose their position of, of influence. And, you know, somebody like Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein is an example of that. But what some people are noticing is that the bar for someone being canceled seems to be getting lower and lower and lower. I mean, today it's conceivable that a person of influence, say in their late 20s, could be canceled for offensive tweets that they wrote when they were a teenager 12 years ago. And, and that's why some people say we're living in a cancel culture. We're living in a culture that is quick to cast judgment on someone for a careless word. Uh, we're living in a culture that is quick to see a person's mistake as the sum total of who they are. And we're living in a culture that is unwilling to hear or accept apologies. And so it's really important for us to hear what Jesus is saying. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If we're going to cancel someone for a poor choice of words, we better be ready to be canceled if we ever make a similar mistake. And you know what I think? I think the honest truth is, if we really did all have a recorder around our necks that recorded every single word we said and collected every statement that we wrote, surely if it was recording throughout our entire lives, surely it would record something that if it was made public, could get us canceled today, especially if the bar is low. You know, it could be something we said when we were really angry, maybe something that we said when we were younger and less mature, maybe something that we said out of ignorance, and maybe something we said and we have no good excuse for it, but looking back on it, we wish we hadn't said it. Maybe as I talk about this, there's something that's coming to mind for you. Something that, you know, if it was recorded, you'd like to have that record destroyed. Or at least permanently sealed and classified and stored in a vault. Now let me ask you, would you want people to define you by those words that you're remembering right now? Would you want people to see those words as the sum totality of who you are? No, of course not. And if not, be careful about defining others by their worst moments.
In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So be merciful. Practice grace. And honestly, if I were to sum up the application of these first two verses in this passage, it would just be those two words. Practice grace. Now let's look more closely at the next three verses. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, Jesus is clearly using humor here to get his point across. This is a ridiculous image. Someone with a two by four sticking out of their eye, trying to point out a speck of dust in someone else's eye. And he's saying, when we judge, this is often what we're like. You know, a similar image uh, might be someone saying, ha ha, you've got some spinach in your teeth but they're oblivious to the fact that their entire face is coated in crusted dried tomato sauce from the spaghetti they just sloppily ate. And what I want us to notice about this image is that Jesus is pointing out our lack of self-awareness. So often we're able to recognize everybody else's flaws, but we can't see our own. We're able to recognize all the flaws in the other political party but we're incapable of recognizing the ones in our own, right? We're able to recognize all the flaws, however small, in our family members, in our spouses, in our friends, but we can't see them in our own. And Jesus is saying, this is a very common problem. This is a very human problem, this obliviousness to our own flaws, but this obsessive attention to everybody else's. And did you notice what Jesus recommends for dealing with this problem? He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, that's interesting because he doesn't say, don't worry about your brother's problem at all. But he says, before you can deal with his problem, you've got to make sure you've dealt with your own, especially if you have the same problem and it's a lot worse. And what Jesus is telling us here is that we need to practice self-awareness. We need to practice self-awareness. We can't take the plank out of our own eye if we're oblivious to the fact that it's there. We can't get the sauce off of of our face if we're oblivious to the fact that it's there. We have to realize what's actually going on with us. Now, how do we do that? Well, that takes some work on our part. Because again, our natural tendency is just to notice everybody else's problems. But Jesus says, no, practice self-awareness, notice your own issues, and deal with them. Remove the plank in your own eye. Get the spaghetti sauce off your own face. And then you might actually be able to be of some use to your brother with his problem, or your sister with her problem. So that should lead us to the question, well, how do we become more self-aware? Well, let's uh, apply this metaphor a little further. If you have a two by four sticking out of your face and you don't realize it, how are you gonna find out? Or better yet, if your face is covered in tomato sauce, how are you going to find out? Well, there's really only two options. You either need to look in a mirror, see yourself in a reflection, right? Or you need someone else to tell you what's going on. Either look in a mirror or have someone else tell you. So what does it mean to look in the mirror, practically speaking? 
Well, it means taking the time to actually honestly reflect on our lives. And, you know, that, that involves getting real before God and asking God to reveal to us the ways uh, that we need to work on ourselves. Uh, it means praying like the psalmist prays in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there is any offensive way in me. In other words, God, point out any planks in my eye. Point out when I've got the sauce on my face. And then there's the second option, right? Which is letting someone tell you that there's a plank in your eye. We all need people in our lives who can help us to see the things that we don't want to see about ourselves. People we trust who we can ask questions to, like, how do I come across? Do you think that I have a problem with fill in the blank? Be honest. Am I impatient? Am I arrogant? Do I come across as insensitive or judgmental? How do you think I handled that situation? We need people in our lives that we can ask those kinds of questions to, and we need the courage to ask those kinds of questions to them, and we need them to answer us honestly. Because otherwise, we're going to have planks in our eyes. I also think, and, and this is a hard thing for me to say, but I think we need to be willing to listen to criticism when it comes our way. And, you know, our tendency is, is to shut down when we hear criticism, to go immediately into defense mode. But sometimes criticism might be pointing out a plank that needs to be removed even if the source of that criticism is not someone we trust or someone that we like. Now, just to be clear, okay, that does not mean that all criticism is correct. We need discernment. A lot of criticism is really just rooted in the insecurity of the criticizer. Uh, and it, it does take wisdom and discernment to determine uh, what criticism is worth listening to and what criticism is just kind of worth ignoring. But I do think we need to be open to criticism, even from those sources that we don't trust, that we don't want to hear it from. Because sometimes if we're willing to listen, uh, what's being said um, can, can call attention to a plank that we don't know is in our eye. It is always hard to hear that there's a plank in our eye or sauce on our face. Always. We never want to hear that. But if we're willing to hear it, we can actually do something about it. So here's the big takeaway. This is the one sentence that I encourage you to remember from this message if you remember nothing else. Jesus calls us to self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Our natural tendency is to be self-righteous and not self-aware. But Jesus says, flip that. Jesus says, realize you are a flawed human being desperately in need of the grace of God. You've got a plank in your eye. You've got sauce on your face. Focus on that. And as you become more self-aware, you're going to find yourself becoming less and less self-righteous because you realize you are not righteous. 
And the beautiful thing about realizing that we are not righteous is that then we can actually experience the grace of God. We can never really appreciate the grace of God as long as we're self-righteous, as long as we think everybody else is the problem and we're not. You know, but when we realize that even though we are sinners, God loves us and he gave his son's life for us, you know, then that really can hit us in a way that changes our lives, in a way that fills us with gratitude and joy. But as long as we're self-righteous, we're never going to find that amazing. We're never really going to appreciate the grace of God for us. And as we experience the grace of God, that transforms us. That makes us merciful. It makes us more forgiving. It makes us less judgmental. When we realize that the King of Kings is willing to let go of 2,739 lifetimes worth of our debt, that should make us the kind of people who are willing to forgive our brothers and our sisters. But we can't get to that point until we realize that we owe God a debt that we cannot pay. And we can't get there without self-awareness. So practice self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Look in the mirror. Listen to brothers and sisters that you trust. Self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, this is a really hard teaching. I know it's a hard teaching for me. But God, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of people who are not judgmental, the kind of people who are uh, slow to, um, well, not just slow, but, but, but unwilling to condemn others, unwilling uh, to see them as beyond the reach of your love and your grace. Lord, help us to be uh, the kind of people who are merciful, the kind of people who treat others the way that we would want to be treated, the kind of people that do not hold others to standards that we don't hold for ourselves. Lord, help us to become more and more aware of our need for grace. Help us not to be oblivious, Lord, to our own flaws and mistakes. And Lord, as we become more aware, may you fill uh, that, that space of our awareness with also an awareness of your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.